together close as brothers keep each other safe always you know something's wrong you've always felt it your parents never told you the truth what true the year of your birth there was a prophecy that our leader would be born to liberate us that leader is you moses After 400 years of slavery, things here have become much worse. As your brother, you must set them free. Is that a threat? Yes! I want Moses and his family dead. What is the most important thing in your life? You are. And when will you leave me? Never. Let's just see who's more effective at killing. You or me. Hey. The Sal and Joe show. <laughs> the show that nobody asked for or commissioned. Yeah, with like a pirate like an audience of two me and you watch our own episodes <laughs> yeah I do think one of the plays is um, me listening to Showgirls on the Showgirls um, episode but I thought that was a fun one to do to be honest I like talking about it although now that I listen to it I was kind of like what the fuck are we saying <laughs> um, I can't actually remember what a lot of us said um I, I think I found I, I genuinely remember the conversation being very um, engaging. Mm. Um, I wasn't, we were, we, had a, we were, <laughs> <laughs> not quite what I meant, but, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, it was, an, it was a, it was, there's a lot to talk about in that film. There was full frontal vagina to talk about in that film. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and on that note, it's time to turn to Moses. God, no. As, as no, we all do, segue. as we all do in times of need. <sighs> okay, I'm, so. I'm going to kick this off then. Well, Joe and I just finished uh, the two hour, 40 minute film of Exodus, Gods and Kings. It's a film about the, the, the Moses. <laughs> <laughs> I was about the to Moses. say the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, but the it's ten, not really about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. <laughs> the, oh, we're already off track. I'm um, living... It sounds like you put, like, the Moses... Like, I'm living that Moses life or something. 
Um, it's about um, how the Moses freed the slaves um, from the Pharaoh's rule in ancient Egypt. A famous story in the Bible. Yeah, so it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a retelling of a well-trodden Bible story about Moses uh, leading his people um, out of the Pharaoh's grasp. And it's, you know, a story that's been covered in like films like Prince of Egypt, which is really well received. And there's an amazing piece of animation, really. It's quite, you know, it's quite like, um, it's a children's thing, but it's, it's got mm. quite dark themes and stuff and um, mm -hmm. some great imagery and it's quite enduring. I, I that film stayed, stayed with me quite a lot. I think I used to watch it when I was a kid in primary school. I went to a Church of England school, so they'd put that stuff on. I think my, I think my religious studies teacher literally put that on and walked out the door lots, lots of times. I remember watching Prince of Egypt almost once a week in RE class in secondary school. He just gave up. So, um, I was going to say, you give off the impression of someone who's watched Prince of Egypt about 50 times. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, yes, that was a really good film and it was a lot more exciting. And I think tells the story um, maybe in more of a traditional way than, than this, um, this film. But yeah, I, I very much wish that we watched that instead. But then this is potential here. This isn't Here's a good film that we've watched. So this, is, this film is <laughs> let's shit on it some more and walk off into the sunset. This is uh, <laughs> feeling good about ourselves. Um, um, but yeah, so this is directed by Ridley Scott, who's obviously a renowned storied director, going mm -hmm. back to the seventies. Films such as Alien, Blade Runner, um, Gladiator, Gladiator. Um, Dumb Louise, Black Hawk Down, Black Hawk Down. Kingdom of Heaven, that Martian. terrible from the counselor, the Martian, Robin Hood, <laughs> this. Uh, all yep. what's that one he did with they had to recast Kevin Spacey? All the money in the world. All the money in the world, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh what else? Christopher Plummer. R.I.P. Plummer. Plum isn't it Plummer? Plummer. 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 <laughs> it's not Plummer. It's not pl Plummer. Why do I say why do I say Plummer? Plummer. Oh my god! <laughs> I literally have always called him Christopher Plummer. Maybe Plummer. It is Plum Plummer. <laughs> you know, I actually I looked up studio, how to pronounce Studio Ghibli, and it's actually Ghibli. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought it was Ghibli. Yeah. It's Ghibli. I can't it's tell if you're lying. <laughs> I'm not lying. It's it's on Google. Plumber. 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 Anyways, he's not even involved in this film. No, no. Um, R.I.P. Thank God. Uh, he did disparage <laughs> his name with this turd. But this is, yeah, so this is, uh, this is, you know, Ridley Scott making a movie, essentially. He, he makes, like, a movie a year still, and he's, like, 75 or something. He's a ridiculous workhorse. And he, he's, he's, because he's so prolific, he's quite hit and miss, but um, yes. when he hits, it's like, you know, levels of genius that we all strive for how many misses he can miss he can like he can like take a penalty kick and hit like someone on a freeway two two thousand miles away with the ball um like uh, the counselor is a famous example of a mm. film that he did with cormac mccarthy writing cormac mccarthy writing the script and uh 
McCarthy. <laughs> McCarthy, yeah, well, yeah. Cameron Diaz does have sex with a car in that film, so. That's McCarthy. true. I, I, I wonder if that would have been actually the better thing to watch because at least it was, it sounds entertaining. Um, mm. This was two and a half hours plus of low energy misery, which is um, extra, extra depressing because it's not even like fun misery you know it's just like everyone is yeah is i mean over it so this this was a 200 roughly 200 million dollar budget they say between 140 and 200 million which is i don't know why it's so vague um mm. and it didn't make that much money in comparison it made well it made you know 268 million dollars worldwide which mm-hmm. it's not enough for a film with that budget Obviously, because when you have a film that budget, you usually double it for marketing and advertising costs. So they lost money. Maybe it did well on digital. Um, I'm surprised yeah. it made that much, to be honest, because I'm just thinking yeah. like who. Well, it like, came out. Pe- it came out around Christmas time in the United States. Oh, okay. So whatever. Here's the thing, right? So it's it's a kind of modern. It's a it's a retelling of the Moses story. Um, in, in the kind of similar kind of vein, not, not quite as mad, but similar kind of vein to Noah, Darren Aronofsky's Noah, which I think actually came out the same year, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously like taking elements of the original story and, you know, Darren Aronofsky, Aronofsky feed it by making Noah basically turn into a psychopath towards the end, trying to basically, I think he hits his wife and stuff, you know, it, it becomes mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. But this is a, taking elements of the Moses story, uh, most of them pretty relatable and formulaic to the original, but then mm-hmm. making some changes, like making Moses a general in mm-hmm. uh, the Pharaoh's army, who gets then cast out after realizing his parentage were Hebrews. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, it's got a kind of gritty, dark kind of visual style Um you know, it's kind of an adult, mature, you could say, version, I suppose, of the story. Mm. Um, with, and then we've spoken about this before. There, there's been a trend. There was a trend of doing that to, to every film you could lay your hands on. It had to be dark. It had to be gritty. It had to be real, you know. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, it does separate itself from Prince of Egypt, which is a colourful animation. Mm-hmm. Um, but by doing that... It seems to have just drained all of the life out of the story, really. Um, everyone is does that thing that they do in these films where they think, if I act serious and focused and with minimal expression, it's going to somehow translate onto the screen as like interesting and engaging. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's very gruff. Nobody really smiles. Everyone's serious. You know, Moses. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and as a result, as we discussed in the film, there is literally zero semblance of character. Zero yeah. semblance. I think maybe there's less character in this film than any other film we've watched so far for this podcast. Uh, mm. Nothing. Like, I don't think Moses has... Like, Christian Bale plays Moses, by the way. Christian Bale, mm-hmm. great actor. Mm. The most flat life, like, flat-line performance I think I've ever seen. I mean, he shouts occasionally, but just there's nothing in terms of character that you can understand or grapple onto. Like they've added an extra element about his character that he's basically trying to get back to see his wife and kids back in Cana, I believe, is where they're trying to get to. Um, 
But that's Connor. kind of Connor. <laughs> is it is it Connor? I think it's Connor. <laughs> Pronunciation, I don't know. <laughs> Plumer, I don't know, whatever. Uh, that, they yeah. added that aspect to his to give that emotional thing, but it's barely tackled. And um and just to say before I stop my blabbering, um, they did originally have a four-hour cut of this film, apparently, which you mentioned to me, which judging by the way this is edited in this mad, mad style, obviously mm. shows that it was destroyed or not destroyed, but chopped the fuck down by the studio um, before it was released. So maybe that would have imbued it with more life and character and allowed us to, you know, just connect with these characters, but nothing at all, nothing yeah. at all in that way. Yeah. I don't think they're written to be um, sympathised with, to be honest. Like Moses is someone who's meant to be grappling with his faith a little bit, having come from initially no faith. Um, and I can see why that would lead to a character being a bit sullen and a bit repressed maybe, but I just don't find that very interesting. And I don't know if many people would find that very interesting. Um, there's not that much, well, I say there's not that much. There's no levity at all in the film. Like there's not one character that provides a bit of a, a breather from like the serious downtrodden um, energy of the film. And I think that in a way takes away a lot of humanity. You have like Moses, who's a bit miserable. And then you have Ramses who is occasionally a psycho and just most of the time just seems like an angry dictator. We just don't really get anything from anyone. And Moses and Ramses are other people with the most time on screen and we don't see anything. So never mind like uh, Sigourney Weaver who plays Ramses' mother, who's on screen for about a minute combined. Um, you don't get anything from them. Or Ben Mendelssohn's character um, who is overlooking like the slaves in, in Egypt, you know, he's incredibly orange and <laughs> looks horrendous. And that's about it, you know? And he, he, he's trying to like ham up the character a little bit, but it's still just not enough because everything, everyone around him isn't reacting to it. And he's not, he's not kind of doing enough with the character, I think. Mm. He also just looks, everyone looks ridiculous, by the way. Everyone has got like a lot of bronzer on and a lot of like eye eyeliner. <laughs> But, but none of it looks good. Like, it doesn't look polished. It looks like people in really bad makeup. So it, it looks kind of hammy and a bit almost camp, but then everyone's acting like it's, it's the most serious film that they've ever starred in. And if they smile once, then God himself will smite them. And it's just, that doesn't make for a very entertaining viewing. I'm not saying everything has to be entertaining, but... Like, I don't know if anyone comes out of this film thinking like, wow, this film has really changed my life for the better. Like, because yeah. it doesn't teach you much, you know? Oh. Was, that, was, that Moses, <laughs> was that Moses on a fucking chopper coming to get you? That was, are, you are you doing a podcast out of, a, out of your window? <laughs> <laughs> Ridley, no. Ridley, no. Um, Here's the thing, though. So, like, you, yeah. you go every. You have to have an angle to a story if you're going to retell it. Obviously, you've got to have an angle, and mm -hmm. the angle that I guess they would have pitched the studio here was a, a more modern adult retelling of the Moses story, 
but in by doing so it seems to have angered upon release a lot of religious people um you know who you know not to to get into like troubled waters but you know it does i think any portrayal of anything religious on screen is always going to bring a certain amount of backlash from someone you know mm -hmm. but i think if you're going to go down that route um you know usually when you put pump a load of money into a bible story it's because you're going to be able to hit that uh, religious dollar so to speak you know like the mel gibson's uh, passion of the christ mm -hmm. when that came out that was that wasn't actually a studio film, I don't think, but it was. It become became the highest grossing independent film of all time when it came out because it just, you know, it raked in for the Catholics, yeah. for the Catholics, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you're going to go down this angle of making a more modern adult thing, and then stripping away a lot of that kind of, because there is a lot. Some people would hold the story incredibly important to their faith, you know. And this film slightly strips away that feeling of the story. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't have like a, you know, I'm not a religious person, but it doesn't have that grandeur and that kind of like, you know, philosophical uh, feel to it. It's kind of played mm -hmm. out more in a, an action film sense, you know, with like battle scenes and explo there's explosions in this. <laughs> it's actually explosions mm -hmm. in this film. Um, so it's a strange gamble for the, the studio to put $200 million into a film knowing that you're probably not even going to be able to hit that religious market, you know? Uh, yeah. And then at the same time, though, because it is a religious story, are you going to be able to draw in those, that non-religious market? And so what seems to have happened is it seems to have clicked with neither. And that's why it didn't really make the money. Because it's just, you know, it's, there's two sides to this car, right? So there's, I think you, you quoted to me, like Ridley Scott saying that he couldn't get this film made I mean, I think he could have, to be honest, but he said that he couldn't get this film made if his, did you say his, like, if the main actor playing a role yeah, wasn't named? Essentially, no, essentially he was like, if I got some Muhammad so-and-so from where and where, um, I wouldn't be able to get it made. Um, which, quote unquote, <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not me interpreting it. So, but, so um, you can see why then, then the student felt like they needed to have a cast in place to be able to, satisfy this kind of budget because that's what you do that's, people go to see names in there but what seems to have happened here is that they they veered <laughs> so deep into that those waters man there isn't a single person of color in this principal mm -hmm. cast it's white men and one or two white women playing very yep. almost non-speaking roles mm -hmm. um you know they had joel edgerton who's a great actor playing ramses which it, it just looks like he's been sat in a tanning booth for, for far too long, you know. Mm. Uh, you think there there must there must have been uh, an ability on the part of the producers or the studio to you, know, you can get your principal, you can get you know Christian Bale to play Moses or whatever, but there was no Middle Eastern actor anywhere to be seen except in like slave roles or like bit parts behind the scenes, you know. Uh, and yeah. that's that also seemed to be a huge problem when it came out. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that because you're going to take that modern retelling that modern angle uh you can't like you said this to me about christian bear at the beginning he just looks like he's not in the right film so that does end up having an impact on the quality of your experience right because you feel like you're it's an artificial experience um and that's mm -hmm. something i felt throughout the whole film very artificial feeling yeah i agree i think it's also just like um i think he 
I don't know. It felt like almost like a, I know it's a biblical film, but it also felt like a fantasy almost, like the the grandeur of the buildings, which was I think emphasized. Um, I'm not like an expert on ancient Egyptian like housing or whatever, but mm. it was it was like the old Egyptologist kind of almost like a bit Orientalist way of looking at Egypt. It was like look at all these temples that they live in, and they have these like crazy rituals where they cut open a goose and stuff like this and mm. i'm sure they 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 did used to do that but there's a certain like mysticism that they kind of approach right, but that's, with that's weird though isn't um, it because they're trying to do the realistic thing to some extent yeah. and then they're still uh, that's also confusing about this one because really scott's saying that you know he wanted to rather than have every all these punishments from god seem fantastical he wanted mm. to see like portray them as if they were sourced from like natural disasters or or natural phenomenon right yep and yep. that's i think that's it's a, well it, he's an atheist um and he he's said as well like i wanted to kind of approach like the main character moses like from my own point of view so mm. i suppose that would be why he wanted to um find natural causes for things mm. like the parting of the red sea and stuff which is fine, you know, I think that's a fine take on it. But I think why is Moses so miserable and why is there nothing human about him that we can latch onto? Mm. You know, he, he gets married after about five minutes to a woman who we don't know and has a children, uh, has a has a children, has a <laughs> child, <laughs> has a multiple children, and um he has a child who we don't care about because we never see them together we never see them bond and he's just mm. miserable throughout you know and it's just kind of like it's really really hard to have a two and a half hour film based around a character that ultimately you you don't sympathize with you don't empathize with who's meant to be essentially a messenger of god but you don't understand his plight you know he doesn't he's not he's having a crisis of faith but you don't really get where he's coming from because yeah. You know, I mean that, that's one um, thing I mentioned in, in the Prince of Egypt that they you know it's a, it's a it's an animation I think from like 20 20 years ago something like that but um they they do simple storytelling techniques to convey to you the kind of character Moses is like he starts off um quite arrogant uh yeah. and then he sees you know the kind of error of his ways through a realization of his faith he comes to see become someone new you know and that's 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 the key that's the key transition in this story is from someone someone realizing their faith really and um mm. that process in this film doesn't happen really don't you think it, 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 you don't you don't chart his that realization it kind of just kind of the way it's been chopped up in editing you you just jump into he's like i i honestly i thought like oh he suddenly he's there now right he went from like mm a general in Ramsey's army to being exiled to then just kind of being there and going you're like there's no transition into the Moses character we know is what, is what I'm saying it just kind of seems to cut into it and uh that's the basis the foundation of the story so yeah um this is by far like out of all the films that we've seen I, I think maybe Jupiter Ascending it comes in a close second but this was a film that I really couldn't wait to finish, to be honest. I mm. just wanted it to be over. And yeah, like the running time doesn't help because 
not a lot of films can can uphold this level like this fucking length and in my opinion not many of them should but um it was just so tedious to get through and even if it oh sorry i was gonna say like even if it like it, it looked from a technical standpoint like very good but i also just found you know stuff like the cinematography like very flat i suppose and just not very it just didn't it felt like a bit devoid of life um and this is the the cinematographer is um i think his name's wolski um works with ridley scott a lot nowadays so and maybe that's just you know what really wants he wants the the grandeur but not necessarily um have it look have it very artistic but I mean, if I'm honest with you, if I'm honest with you, I don't actually, this might be a contentious perspective, but I don't actually remember the last Ridley Scott film I enjoyed looking at visually. Um, I thought Prometheus looked okay, but it... But Prometheus just has that production design, you know, it has, it has yeah. those elements and you can't go wrong with that HR Geiger stuff and the, or anything based mm. around that kind of, design is is well for me it's like beautiful but mm. like um this like but it, it falls into that in line with that visually because it comes back to that feeling of it you know these these all white cast and these quite modern sensibilities it falls in line with that yeah as you say quite flat visual style everything felt way too clean um yeah I, get, I felt like everyone needed to look a bit dirtier or a bit like sweatier or something. Mm. Everyone has that thing that they used to have in, in some ways it's kind of a quaint thing because it, it was like those old sword and sandal epics, you know, where you'd have Roman generals or pharaohs or whatever looking like they just literally stepped out of the makeup trailer because they had. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck yeah. about them. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but especially early on in the film, it's got this nasty sheen to it where it's like you're, you're very distant from the image you don't feel kind of mm. immersed in the world like uh, just an example like i was watching once upon a time in hollywood yesterday and i know it's unfair to compare this film with that film but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a film that you you just you fall into and that's because mm. of the production design and the the tactile feel of the makeup of the characters and the costumes and that's mm-hmm. you know that's portraying a certain time period and with this they could have gone down that route, but everything feels very artificial and, and distant. So yes. that that coupled with the lack of emotional connection with any of the characters is the reason why I would second what you say to say it's one of the most difficult films to get through that we have done, because I think even with Jupiter Ascending, the ridiculousness of it was almost endearing. Uh, I know we, we shat on it like crazy, but um, it was building a world and it was original um yes, this was like watching true. a very very boring expensive documentary um oh not documentary didn't actually happen but um <laughs> yeah like I I I said to you when we were watching it it felt like I was doing like I was forced into Sunday service again um because <laughs> I was when I was in school and I had oh. to like sit through two hours of like um what are they called a priest not a priest it's like a Protestant vicar? Is it a vicar? I don't Jedi. Know. Anyway. <laughs> um, she said Jedi. Yeah. Okay, I went, good. To, I, I went to a weird school. Don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> um, 
so yeah it just felt like I was being forced to like listen to some some biblical do you remember story that, do you remember um, that scene in um Attack of the Clones where Yoda comes into the Jedi Academy that's like yes. that's what my primary school was like uh, I was I was, <laughs> was a teaching the younglings yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you're about to die so yeah it was very very tedious and I'm actually looking at um Ridley Scott's filmography and funnily enough from Prometheus the counselor Exodus the Martian to Alien uh was all done from 2012 to 27 uh 17 including Alien Covenant sorry and that was all 20th Century Fox so Mm. what I assume is he had a deal with 20th Century Fox it was they were like you do alien and we give you money for exodus <laughs> that's what i assume happened but i i i don't i just don't recall actually i was i was going to mention this i was in the shower <laughs> if you think back to a lot of his protagonists like think back to like alien or um blade runner you know i do think a lot of his main characters even gladiator are a bit um, personality wise they can be a bit bland you know yeah, um but maybe I not think, the most expressive people <laughs> i think this falls in line with what i was saying to you before is that it that's a style and that's that's fine you know that it probably falls in line with what i imagine really scott is like as a man yeah. uh not in a bad way he just every interview i've ever seen with him he's he's quite stern and you know, he's an incredibly talented artist but he's you know he has a certain way about him and maybe he draws that out in his leads but what a lot of his films do have is characters around this central pillar of stoicism what you want to call it like be it ripley i mean ripley doesn't have much to her character on the other fact she's kick-ass and brave yeah um but the characters around her on that ship are do the do the legwork for her in Mm. some ways you know and um you know really scott came from advertising you know he made like five thousand commercials before he shot a feature film or something like that ridiculous um and you know that's that's always been his from my perspective his talent is in the visual style of things and um but you know having a main character be very stoic is one thing having all your characters in the film (laughs) be stoic (laughs) just leaves you watching like just hot air being blown around and I, that, that is, I honestly think that is the most infuriating and I'm, I'll use a dramatic word, like insulting thing to sit through um, mm. because you, you just don't have anything to latch onto. And when that happens in a film, you have, you have every right to turn it off. I don't usually like ending a film early. I like to give it a good yeah. shot. But if I've got to a certain point, you haven't even managed to get one character in your film engaging with me um then you've just got to pack it in mate and if it's a two and a half hour film jesus um yeah but i wonder because there is that thing about there being a four hour cut out there which honestly the one thing to mention the editing of this film is bananas like i've said to you before it was like sometimes you sit there and you're like watching a trailer you're like watching a, a quickly cut trailer for a film that's actually a film you're watching at the time uh, yeah. scenes are like just fly by some shots yeah. look like they cost two hundred thousand dollars you see for two seconds 
yeah. characters jump between locations. They have a quick shot of like the moon, and then you're at, you see the same character in one location, shot of the moon, same character in a different location, and it's daytime. Just let's let's mm-hmm. go, let's go, let's go. So maybe it was completely yeah. fucked up, but still, you, the, you have to have had enough footage in there to craft just the basic story. That's what's weird about this one. Like even the basics of storytelling seem to be like left behind a bit. Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem to care about getting you involved in Moses's story. He's just kind of like, it felt like he, I don't know. Do you feel like his heart was in this one? Like it doesn't feel like he was hundred um, percent, you know, on his game on this one. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it does feel like it was a bit mm, detached, like emotionally, um, even for his films. But then at the end, it's, I mean, I don't know how much this means, but at the end, it, it has a dedication to his brother, Tony Scott, who was also a director who passed away. So I don't know whether that has an effect on it at all. Um, I think it's an odd one as well, because for someone who's not very religious, I, mm. I know that he, he said, you know, like he wants to explore religion or like explore theism in some way, but for someone who's not very religious to tell a story like this, from quite a cynical point of view, I think it it's it's just mm-hmm. it, maybe maybe that's what it was, you know. Like maybe this is a film where he was really kind of exploring exploring it as he we went along. Um, and when you're doing that, I don't know if you can you can be very clear about what you want to say with yeah, a I project mean, or a piece of work. You know? That's a really interesting point because you do get. Um, you know, you do get directors who are de- devoutly religious, like like Martin Scorsese. I think is a very religious person. He was actually yes, trying very. to become a become a priest. I think before he became a director. Yes. Um, you know, and he he, he, he tried, has a lot he, of Catholic guilt. <laughs> yeah, and he made the, like last Tempta- last temptation of Christ with Willem Dafoe, and then Silence. he made Silence, which is the example oh, I was going to come to because that is an example of someone who's so you know, and it's every person's faith is important to them, but it, it that became suffocating in that case. Um, mm-hmm. You know that you, you was it was such it seemed like such a personal like evocation of his faith that you you I felt super kind of bored yes. by it. Which I'm did we did we go watch that film in Leicester Square? Didn't we? We did. Yeah, we watched it together. And yeah. um, the bit where he like sees Jesus oh. in the water, I think we turned to each other and. Uh. <laughs> I was like, what that was the hell? that was shocking to see that in a Scorsese film. I thought he, <laughs> yeah. like, he, that that sort of felt like he kind of gave in to that side, quite cloying mm. and like really on the nose. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what religion can often do; it can overpower the story. So you know, it is interesting to see a religious story done by a, an atheist, but at the same time, what that does is it does rob it the story of its some of its power. Because a lot of its power mm-hmm. comes from the meaning it's had to people for thousands of years. And mm-hmm. so it's about finding that balance between conveying the power and importance of the story to you as the director, coupled with the fact that you don't want to make sure it's, you want to make sure it's not too preachy and doesn't overwhelm the emotions of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe really, this is the story he wanted to tell. Maybe he's very happy with it because this is his mm-hmm. perspective on the story. And that's every director needs to have that in the films. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's what you need. But his mm. perspective seems to be not very emotional when it comes to Moses. He more, yep. I, I mean, I'm just trying to understand his angle. 
you know, what do you think his angle is? Like, obviously he wants to make it realistic, but why do you think he wanted to make this? Um, I don't know. Like, I did read that he wanted to do it because he was just interested in telling the story of Moses, but I didn't read anything about as to what, mm. you know, made him suddenly think about Moses. Oh, I did, I did actually hear him say that he received the script from the writer, well, one of the writers, because there's four of them on here, um, but I forgot which one, and he was just like, I needed to, I needed to to see it, and maybe mm. that was, you know, I think it was probably, um, I want to say it's Stephen Salian, um, yeah, yeah. I'm actually not sure, but um, in any case, I guess, I guess if you wanted to do like a biblical epic, this would be the one, I, I can't think of any other, well, obviously there are lots, <laughs> Um, I sure. can't think of one that says um, iconic. So, I mean, in theory, this is something that I would see Ridley Scott doing, but I just mm. never thought it would be so dry. <laughs> um, so what, what can we... Uh, the age-old question. The age-old question mm. arrives. I mean, yes. I, I personally say that um, something to take from it is that if you're going to go down... If you're going to take an angle on a story, uh, mm. I feel like you need to go all the way with it. There's elements of the story that he, he changed and tweaked, and maybe that's there's aspects of his perspective seeping through there because he's trying to approach it from not a emotional, religious perspective, but just from an outsider's perspective. Maybe he's just trying to understand something about the story or something like that. But mm. he's still... He's, is still grappling with the religious side of it which is there's lots of elements of the original story still there so i feel like the end product is quite muddled uh yeah. and it, it lacks a kind of a kind of heart to it i feel like if mm -hmm. you're going to go if you're going to tackle an adaptation or a story from fables or a biblical story if you're going to take an angle i think it's really important that you don't kind of go halfway with it like i'm not saying this would be a better film but you could have gone completely down this route of a, like a realistic portrayal of Moses. You could have like cut out all of the biblical plagues. You could cut out the burning bush. Obviously we wouldn't really be, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be the exact Moses story, but you could just, you could do something completely different in that setting and in that story. Right. Um, mm. Maybe that would have been more unique and original because the story has mm -hmm. been told before and it's been told better uh, mm -hmm. It's like we said before, like how many Christmas Carol adaptations do they have to be in some, until someone takes a completely different perspective on it? You know, it's yeah. always it's always the same story, but with either a little bit added extra dark grimness or like mm -hmm. Muppets Christmas Carol <laughs> side of things, which I fucking love, by the way. Yeah, one <laughs> of your favorite films. <laughs> so that, that's that's um, something I'd take just to go in on your, your angle. If you're going to take an angle, go all in, because this is an example of someone who I don't feel like they went all in on it, really. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. I think my, like, I would take a similar stance um, because in this film, uh, Moses meets God, who is a young boy who's actually got a bit of an attitude and kind <laughs> of demands sassy. to him to... <laughs> yeah, he is annoying little shit, but he... Oh, my God, I didn't just say that about God. I was talking about the child, but... Um, <laughs> Basically, I just feel like a thunder <laughs> crack in the background. <laughs> I'm I'm very like superstitious, so I don't really like um, slagging off God. But basically, you know, he has this kind of like 
and I, I feel like that relationship could have been the core of the film, you know, his relationship with God versus his relationship, which is his faith, versus his relationship with Mo, uh, Ramses, which is his, you know, what, what he's, him as a man up until that point. Right, but that is thought, right? that is the story that is the essence yeah. of the original story so exactly yeah so i don't every scene he has with young boy god it's just very short and it's very bland and it's very kind of the dialogue which is just so on the nose and stilted by the way is the same it's just like a very short back and forth it's never like a debate with god which i think it should have been which is like why are you not helping your people then? Why am I doing it? Blah, blah, blah. And that could have been told in a much more dramatic, compelling right. way. So, so make the conflict, his internal conflict between hmm. what, you know, what God is telling him to do and the realities. Of, like, yeah, exactly. So like develop more of a connection with, with Ramses, you know, people who have taken him in, raised him. Uh, you know, he like, he was on the deathbed of his surrogate father, the, the pharaoh. You know, he could have really like bawled his eyes out or something like that. But then that conflict between having that, which I do think they actually did tackle again in Prince of Egypt. Mm. Like he had an mm. emotional connection to his. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm referencing this film so much, but it's true. That film, yeah. they did it. Um, yeah. You know, that, that conflict between what God is telling him to do and exactly what his life was before. I mean, that's mm. drama is conflict, right? So that is the essence of the story. And that could have been, exactly. yeah. And I think it would have it would have really tackled the whole crisis of faith um, angle, if that's really what Ridley Scott wanted to do, um, a bit more. And, you know, I think, yeah. So basically that that's kind of the major thing that I would say. Mm. Um, and on top of that, like having more interesting, actually, this is something that I realized when I just now, um, there was no B plot to this film, right? There's just the A plot. There's just hmm. the whole Moses thing. There is, and so an A plot is basically your main plot, and then B plot is something something that's happening usually with a side character or whatever that will become may or may not become relevant. When there's no B plot, it makes it makes the story lack a bit of depth, I think, because you're sticking with one character and that storyline for the whole film you're not exploring the world in different points of views um or with different characters and i think that's something that's that well that, that's a bit of an issue structure wise i think i think on the page you could argue that maybe that the b plot was the uh I'm, I, I agree with you in the finished film so so mm. you know, moses's you know plight and his journey is a and then Ramses and his dealings back in Egypt could be a B plot in terms of, you know, and you could see how he's dealing with the fact that his surrogate brother's now in exile or which he seems to not mm. really care about that much at the beginning. Um, yeah. But as the film I, plays out, mm. there's no, you don't get a sense that there's a, there's a structure there in terms of A and B. It's kind of like, as you say, both have been placed on a level level kind of terrain with each other. Mm. So you're kind of intercutting mm. between what feels like two A stories. Um, yeah. Which means that you don't form an emotional connection properly with either because 
mm-hmm. you know, there's this whole thing about Ramses and his child, you know, his child, as is, as is in the original story, his child is stricken down by the spirit of death that Moses brings upon the city as a result of punishment. And that is a huge emotional moment. That's like a really iconic moment. You know, this, that's in the original mm. Ten Commandments film where he's carrying him through. That's in the that's in the fucking Ten Commandments film from 1927 because they made that film twice in 27 mm-hmm. and I think 54. Um, there's the same yeah. shot of him carrying his son down like a long, dark corridor. It's, it's quite a powerful moment. Fucking Prince of Egypt mm-hmm. is like a powerful moment. Um, yeah. But because, as you say, there isn't that kind of interplay between the two stories. You're not sure where you should put your emotional attention, who you should be caring about, you know. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think it's the structure a bit odd. And also, like, um, the the parting of the Red Sea, which Ridley Scott has a different take on, um, is a bit oh. of a anti-climax um because he doesn't part it like you know as you would expect it kind of just uh, we don't even see it like disappear it just it's there one moment it's kind of like receding the water is receding somehow and then um the next minute it's the water's all gone of the sea and then they just walk across well, it's it's meant to play into that thing you're talking about how Ridley wanted to make yep. all of these, which I still don't really understand because, okay, so he wanted to make everything seem to feel like it was occurring naturally, like a natural phenomenon rather than like a big hand in the sky reaching down and spreading, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So in that regard, they get to the sea and the tide recedes and it only comes back in as it would do as in the form of a tidal wave, which washes away mm-hmm. Ramses. Uh, which is fine, but the angle of mm. making things more natural, naturally occurring, I don't understand how that factors into millions of frogs suddenly turning up or a plague mm-hmm. of locusts coming out of the sky. Like, how is that? How does that factor into that approach? You know, I don't understand yeah. what that, how, why is that? Because that's the thing you read. Why is that the, why is that approach so important to him? I don't, that's not clear to me. I don't know what it adds yeah. to the film, really. Uh, yeah, especially because like the idea, um, there are so many examples of like God. Uh, there are there are shots where Moses is talking to child God, and someone's watching them. Who's Aaron Paul from, um, aka Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, who speaks about five lines in this film, and then fucks off. But he's watching, and then he's looking at Moses, seemingly talking to nobody. And I suppose that's supposed to supposed to kind of like question whether Moses is is really seeing God or whether it's just in his mind and stuff but there are too many examples of like actual gods um I don't even know how to say it like actual examples of God doing stuff any stuff stuff. um yeah God stuff that renders that kind of um possibility exactly yeah exactly so what you're saying is like portraying Moses as like a schizophrenic weirdo is an angle right yeah. uh but yeah. it comes back to that thing that I want to learn from is that if you're going to take the angle like if you're going to take the angle that's part of Moses character that's great that's interesting that's not something we've seen before in that story because it's always been treated with such reverence you know it's a bit of a ballsy mm-hmm. move and maybe that would have pissed some people off that's but that's that's an angle yeah but it's an angle in service of making the story feel more realistic again fine 
but then to then swing back on the more fantastical aspects of the story like the burning bush and the mm-hmm. and the uh the locusts and the frogs and the rivers of blood mm-hmm. and stuff like that it's it's a halfway measure it doesn't yeah. feel like he went all the way so yeah um yeah. i do think that the bigger budgets become the less mm-hmm. reliance or focus there usually is on character because character is usually something that you focus on i imagine as a as a director when there's very few other moving parts to take into account you know mm-hmm. there's a reason why lots of filmmakers start with smaller stories not you know not just because mm-hmm. they haven't got the money but it allows you to work on what is the most fundamental aspect of the story which is the characters as soon as you get yep. 200 million dollars in your pocket and you've got 4000 extras which is i think actually the number they actually sourced from spain to handle mm-hmm. you often sideline it seems the development of character that happens a lot in big budget films you know and um yeah, yeah. that's something I, i don't know how you learn not to do that but if, if we ever hit the big big league sale in our <laughs> illustrious careers you know I wonder if there's any, any ever, will there ever be a way that we can um, retain that personal, intimate feel of relationships with the characters whilst telling a story on a big scale. I think a film that does that and is maybe the best of all time is Lawrence of Arabia because oh, yeah. Yeah. relationships with the characters are amazing and then he's got the scale. He balances those two things yes. perfectly. Yes. Um Ridley Scott's actually like heavily influenced by David Lean as one might expect for a, mm. a director his age who's also British and he's talked about Lawrence of Arabia as well and I'm sure that in some way or another it would have been maybe an even well I hesitate to say aesthetic influence because this film looks terrible in comparison to Lawrence of Arabia but I'm sure it would have had some influence just even given its setting and I suppose the story of a man's journey and and finding himself and his identity or whatever but yeah like that is a film where the main character goes through his own kind of little form of hell and starts as someone who's a bit kind of like naive and a bit fearless almost to mm. to someone who matures and um becomes a little bit more cynical towards the end mm. and that whole film is about that journey and in theory that should be kind of what this story is um if that's the angle that Ridley Scott wanted to take if you know it's all about Moses and his and his faith but that's not really what happens because his character doesn't change like Moses doesn't really change that much he just gets maybe a bit more tired <laughs> he's yeah. exhausted by the end but of it this poor um, wife by the time he gets home he looks like he's literally <laughs> been through the trenches like stinks of shit <laughs> Yeah, so that's the biggest difference. Like and yeah, I agree with what you said. I think it's I think Lawrence of Arabia is a fucking long film. It is a long film and a lot of that film, not a lot, but like a certain portion of that film is him literally walking through the desert. And yet it's really compelling not because it only looks amazing, but because you care about Lawrence as a character and you want to see his journey and you, you you sympathize with him and at times you can empathize with him mm. um and also he's got great supporting characters um mm. like Sharif 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 Ali and uh, Alec <laughs> Alec Guinness 
<laughs> as an Arab. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's a great film to, to use in this example. Mm. Why can't I speak today? I don't know. Make it make you sense. Spoke, you've spoken very well. It's fine. Oh, thank you. Um, have you, have you, to finish off, have you watched anything interesting this week? Or bad? I watched, um, I haven't watched anything new, but I watched uh, Robocop yesterday. I watched Total Recall. So obviously I've been on a Verhoeven kind of um, spree. Mm. And I loved both of them. Robocop's one of my favorite films, but I haven't seen it in like two, three years now. And yeah, it still holds up. It's still fucking hilarious at times. It's still, uh, he still looks cool as shit. And, you know, watching it from the angle of like, Robocop is Jesus reborn made it so much better. <laughs> um, I love that when you can watch also, a film that you know and love, but with a new angle that you've realized or been told, mm-hmm. or it completely like yeah. changes a film, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, exactly. And I completely see what he means because Robocop's actually like in this horrible kind of neo Detroit world. Um, Robocop is a savior. You know, he's someone mm. who is part machine but also still part human and through that can can help people and his only mission is to help people and to get revenge on Clarence Podica. Um those motherfuckers. Damn so Clarence. yeah I fucking love it. Yeah I love that he's the dad from that 70 show as well because I love that character too, Red. Hmm. And I also watch Gangs of New York, which um you know, we were mm. talking about Martin Scorsese's Faith, and that's also another film that really highlights Catholicism because obviously the Irish um, immigrants into New York were mostly Catholic, and that was a reason why they were arguing so much with the locals. Um, what do you mean the dead? The dead rabbits. The dead rabbits. The, the dead dead rabbits. I can't do that. Let's not do that. Um, I don't want to offend anyone. No. So yeah, that was um but yeah, that was a long, that was a long ass film too. And it still looks great. I mean, I I know we talked about it and you said it looks a bit kind of um Broadway, I suppose, almost. And yeah, I agree. It does look a bit like that, but yeah, a bit jazz hands. Very that. Yeah. What about you? What have you watched? I watched, uh, well, at the weekend I watched Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't know why I did that. Um, but but I think I'm on a kick of just going for films at the moment, just like you know, turning off the old, like, well, and I, I've stopped reading reviews before I decide to watch a film. Um, mm-hmm. So many films that I read reviews for, gave up on watching and then came back to later, forgot I read the reviews and liked it. it happens all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I think I need to stop tainting. I'll just, we're just using critics as a means to like decide my taste before I've had my own say. I think mm-hmm. I used to do that a lot. So I'd read a review in the newspaper and say like two stars, or never seen that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really limits your knowledge of film. I think if you do that, because then you only see what are ostensibly meant to be the good ones. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just boring. Uh, I like watching bad films or like mediocre films. And in this case, I was really surprised. I actually quite liked it. I thought it was like incredibly beautiful looking, um, Mm. stunning cinematography. And Ken Watanabe, the 
the the the lead. Well, he's essentially, is almost the lead of the film. Well, he's like the main protagonist, yeah. antagonist in some ways, but uh, he's brilliant. He got nominated for an Oscar, and um, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it's very white saviory, but actually, in some yeah. ways, it's incredibly respectful of Japanese culture, and yeah. incredibly uh, pays a lot of attention to details of Japanese life back then. When uh, I've read lots of reviews. From, Japanese critics after the fact saying how they appreciated that you know one really interesting thing though is that apparently that film was slightly despised in Japan not only because it has that slightly <laughs> feeling of a white savior film you know outsider coming in but mm-hmm. the fact that Ken Watanabe's character was portrayed in a quite um like a, a pleasant way uh okay. and people in Japan said that samurai's weren't by nature that way. They are much more thuggish and could be much more kind of deceitful right. than that. You know, it was that kind of like um, a Western idea of like the warrior, brave warrior, when off, often they were right, just right, like right. thieves and thugs for hire and stuff like that. Not, you know, generally. Like Seven but... Samurai. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a pleasant surprise. But again, another long film, two and a half hour film. Yeah. And I then didn't know that it got bad reviews, actually. I was wasn't yeah. under the impression that it got like okay, like good to okay reviews, um, but it was just like a little cringe maybe because it was like yeah. a white guy in Japan. So it's like, but, but that's the thing. <laughs> I was just like, you can't, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't fucking dream of making that film today, um, mm. for good reason. It would just be ridiculous. But for mm. some reason, this film avoids the worst nightmare of that scenario, where he's mm. not like he doesn't go in and teach anyone about anything he's he's basically sent over there to try and train up the japanese army he's like a american commander whatever but he's kind of immediately like shunned and like punched down and uh, he kind of just like fights his way into this culture um he's not just he doesn't teach anyone how to be a samurai or anything like that you know (laughs) he doesn't like pick it up in a day go up to the shogun and say hey mate you're holding this sword wrong you gotta swear like this Um, so you know not not too bad i i enjoyed it and then final thing i uh this is a bad one man this is bad one. i watched the the midnight sky which is midnight uh sky. oh George yeah Clooney the... netflix film oh. uh, <laughs> how was that so directed by george Clooney. yeah directed by george Clooney, who i think is a good director he's made some he's made one of my one of my favorite films, I'd say, which is Good Night and Good Luck, which is a film about okay, yeah, um, a, that really famous journalist who now forgets F. W. Morrow, is that his name? I can't remember. Morrow, Plummer, Plummer, yeah, F. W. Plummer, and uh, <laughs> but this one, man, woo, miss, swing and a miss. He plays like a um, there's like been a catastrophic event on Earth, and he plays a like uh basically like a research scientist stuck out in Antarctica who's manning the last communication with various ships that we sent into space to find life on other planets and there's one ship left and it's coming back to earth and he's basically trying to contact them and say don't come back there's nothing here it's all gone mm-hmm. you know but George Clooney is just sleeping through this performance man he plays <laughs> like he's just like a whiskey swirling loser with a big gray beard and then one day he's he's just finished his dinner or whatever he's washing up he's just had a 
bottle of whiskey and he slumps down and there's a, there's a young girl hiding in the corner, right? So uh-huh. it's just like one of those stories, you know, teaching him to be a better man. It's just like... Uh, I was um, going to say, the story sounds a bit, um, you know, uh, how do you fill the time with the story like that? But Exactly. Know. You, know, you know how you fill the time? You do a lot, <laughs> a lot of shots of people not speaking, looking. Lots of, oh, of just like put on a tripod, look off screen, <laughs> and just hold it, hold it, hold it. That used up about 25 <laughs> seconds. Cut, next. Um, Excellent. So, so fuck that, but there's one final film that you should look at, be looking at on the horizon, which mm-hmm. I saw the trailer for today. It's called Stowaway. And it's another Stowaway. Netflix. Stowaway. Yeah. Hold on. You can hear me typing. Stowaway. It's another Netflix film. 2021. Yeah. Uh, oh about, yes, I've heard about this. Yeah, so it's like yeah, this, yeah. it's a two-year mission to Mars, and yeah. whilst after taking off, the crew realizes there's been a stowaway on board, uh, mm-hmm. and things kind of unravel from there. Uh, yes, I thought it was a really good idea because apparently it's kind of like a psychological thriller mm. horror-ish kind of thing, where kind of sounds like Alien. <laughs> Yeah, where like he's like done something to their life support systems, or has he? You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of remind me of that film Sunshine. Uh, oh yeah, Danny That's Boyle film. Danny Boyle, yeah. Um, that one's great. Um, yeah, this guy did Arctic. That was his directorial debut. Oh, Matt McKelson. Mm. Yeah, he hangs out on Reddit a lot actually. Um, oh. But yeah so i thought i remember he talks about i think there's a post he, t- he talks about stowaway so i don't know if you want to check it out mm. but yeah that looks really interesting um mm. and it's like a very small cast so mm. you know it's going to be like a nice tight film it's got your woman um, tony collette in it so yes i love her and anna kendrick aka teeth yes <laughs> aka <So. laughs> land actress slightly yes <laughs> i yeah i do find her a little uh i don't know um one note but tony collect can probably do enough for everyone and also act, daniel Dick him act your pants off man oh yes um so yeah interesting interesting films i haven't watched last summer in asia so might revisit that in one time but um, you do anything i'm definitely not going to films? watch well we play that- games together joe we literally play games together. Sounds like Saw. Um, <laughs> you want to play Would you like to play a game after this? You know um, that Saw film where they make someone jump into a vat of syringes to try and dig out a key? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's in one of the Saw films. Yeah. Those films are I remember seeing pictures of that. Yeah. And mm. I was like, no. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about... Um, have you ever seen Cabin Fever by Eli Roth? No. Um, okay, well, in I was thinking about that the other day for some reason. I think it's because... No, I don't remember why. That's um, Yeah, and that, that... Those kind of films, like Hostel, um, you know, like Eli Roth stuff, mm. like the kind of... Um, I don't even want to say body horror, just like torture porn stuff. Torture I don't porn, know yeah. why that was so popular at that time i wonder if it was just because like saw was popular so they released blah yeah. you know it was just like a short-lived um, saw was a huge hit you know and, and they realized they can yeah. make those films i mean they made the saw films in the same building complex in like chicago or something like that 
sort of that. Mm. They realized that you know it started off that trend of of micro budget horrors, you know, like paranormal activity, and mm-hmm. um, and that's a trend that continues today. Although horrors just, I mean, how, basically, how much violent shit can you see on the screen before it gets old? You know, it was just a trend. Yes. Um, yeah. like with anything, but um, yeah. yeah. I was thinking back to that time period, I just thought, like, we don't really see too much of that nowadays. Um, yeah. But back then, what was it, like, mid-2000s, maybe? That was, like, the only type of horror film that was coming out. It was just torture porn, misery porn, essentially. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, I don't know. And I wonder what Eli Roth is doing now. Uh, well, he thinking did about torturing called, people. He did a film called The Green Inferno, which looked really disturbing, which is basically like a... Oh, another one. Let's see. Like a kind of cannibal film, like a cannibal, oh, like can- cannibal holocaust kind of film. Um, right, right, right. But like the imagery was really terrifying because it was super like garish, and the the mm. tribes people looked terrifying. They got this like yellow makeup on. Mm. Um, and I think the poster is just a woman screaming. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> just screaming. Just, um. Oh, of course it was. Um, yeah, maybe we should we should visit some of his films, um, or maybe we should visit. Yes, I was literally about to say, what about the Human Centipede? Which <laughs> of the Human Centipedes is the worst rated one? <laughs> and we one. can decide if there's potential there. <laughs> the third one is is a is a atrocity. I mean, they're all atrocities. I think you've seen that one. before as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Oh God. I don't think um, you could actually. I, I'd like. I don't know if you could get through that one actually. Yeah, I don't. I. The thing is, like, would we be able to get through? Well, would I be able to get through it? And then also, would we be able to honestly discuss <laughs> ways to improve it? Or like, would we be <laughs> to able make... to discuss it without being banned from the internet? Like, <laughs> the things you'd have to say. Uh, yes, <sighs> this is the thing. Oh God. Okay. Well. Anyway, we went from talking about Moses to the human centipede, so another successful podcast. <laughs> I'm happy with that. How many um, thumbs up would right. you give uh, Exodus? Oh, I'd do it about three quarters of the way down. <laughs> oh, shit. So you can go <laughs> thumbs up. You'd like slightly, like, no. kind of like uh, gladiator, no. or slightly tilt it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I'd Commodus it. I mean, w- would you give this a thumbs Commodus up? Commodus the shit out of this. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know what. No, you I will. You I can say I, I, one thing. I will say I will never watch this film again in my life. Well, <laughs> if you were to teach your child about the story of Moses, would you show them this film? I would rather like <laughs> sit them down and read them the fucking Bible. Oh uh, my god! Like and like like be a very strict father like don't fucking pay attention <laughs> that, that, that so that's one, definitely no thumbs up it's like daddy can they have it with pictures no listen to the word of god <laughs> dad can i watch the film with christian bale no i'm going to, I'm going to god no my new detail the story of moses <laughs> uh page one of exodus <laughs> I tell you um, what, I'll film myself reading out the story of Moses from the Bible. Let's see if we can go make more box office than this made. If I can make $239 million. 
I'll consider it a good We love you, Ridley. Thanks, Ridley. Love you, Ridley. Thanks for Blade Runner. If Thanks I meet you, me. I'm going to say this film's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say if he ever, by some grace of God, hears this, I'm going to be like, I didn't, I didn't mean anything I said. I'm sorry. That's the film industry, isn't it? That is, that's that. We're victims just as much as anyone else is. As soon yeah, as we can, if if you were the script editor for this film, what would that have been like? You know, <laughs> you'd be like, um, Mr. Scott, maybe Ridley, we should change. He strolls in, saying, "You know, God, what an amazing draft, don't you think?" And you're there, like, "It's Ridley Scott. I have a job. <laughs> what the fuck do I say?" Um, yeah, we we maybe we can just agree if we ever ever even come across Ridley Scott, the first thing we do, the other person has to go delete this podcast. Yeah, like um, we should have like a special uh, pager that doesn't yeah. require something that doesn't require internet access, like some kind of messaging system. So mm. if we're ev- anywhere in the world. And yeah, we need with the code. Hit the button, button, you should have like a direct line, like the president <laughs> like, yes. picks the red phone and just say, do it, and put the phone down. <laughs> need to get rid of it do it traces do it yeah <laughs> 707 do it just say like a yep. code word like um exodus and just put the <laughs> literal exodus yes wipe out all knowledge i think we might have to like put down the people who've listened to this as well i would have to hunt them down yeah. you know <laughs> How would we know? We can't see who's listened to it. So maybe, so, maybe Ridley will well, listen to this and we'd Imagine if my, my, I met Ridley and I introduced him to my mum. My mum was like, oh, my son talked about you on a podcast <laughs> many years ago. Uh, what was the film? Exodus. Yeah, Exodus. He didn't like it that much, though. I have to say, he, he, I don't want to make my mum sound like he's like a Victorian. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, She'd be like, he wouldn't. He wouldn't even show it to his children. No. He said he'd rather like, read out the Bible than watch your <laughs> film. I mean, that's... Sorry, maybe I said too much. I'll take my leave. Goodbye, Rick. That's the end of my film career. <laughs> You're not working for Scott Free. <laughs> no, I'm working for free. Nowhere. Sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. Actually, girl, Scott Free would sponsor this. Yeah, that is some, that's wheeling and dealing. Oh, hey, I, I'll tell you what. If they, if, they, if they ever release a four-hour cut of this, like you Schne- Snyder you cut it. style, I would, I would give it a shot, honestly, because because oh it's Ridley. No. It's Ridley. It is Ridley. Yeah. It is Ridley. I mean, Snyder did it, and he made a better film, apparently. So there you go. Well, yeah, apparently. I don't know. I've heard that it's not that much better, but I don't know. Oh. I haven't seen it yet. But it only costs seventy million more dollars to to get it right this time. So perfect. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, the original's so bad that it doesn't take a lot to make it that much better. You know. Yeah. Just because. Well, it takes two the, more hours. The of bar so low. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we're going on. On that. Thanks for listening. See everyone. you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> See you. I'm so in- happy. See you in Egypt. See you on. See you in the funny pages. Call me Ridley. <laughs> Call me Ridley. 
Maybe we can end this podcast. End this podcast now. On on the count of three, let's end. Let's just say Ridley and end it. Ready? One, yeah. two, three. Ridley. 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 Mr. Scott. Thanks. Bye.